measure power. My title says a lot. There's power in the name. How do you measure power? Is it how many pounds you can just deadlift in the gym? You might be. I, I'm, I go to a gym where there are lots of guys that I'm convinced that's how they measure their power. That's how they would answer the question right now. <laughs> I'm not one of them. But <laughs> uh, Or is it the torque of the truck you drive? If it's a Ram truck, forget it. It's not worth measuring. But <laughs> if it's a Chevy, like a rock, <laughs> what more do I need to say? Um, or, or is it the size of a country's kind of gets serious all of a sudden, nuclear arsenal. Because of Putin and other developments in our world, our, I thought that nightmare from my childhood is over where we have to start talking about nuclear events. Um, and naturally that conversation goes to who's got the most and who's most accurate in a bunch of other measurements of power. We'll all die, but who will die first, I guess, is really the irony of that. Uh, or does your measurement of power come in man-made things? Like, take the dams on the Columbia River. Uh, my wife and I, Debbie and I, we love to go to Bonneville for lots of reasons. We, we love to watch fish when they used to come up the fish ladder. There aren't many salmon doing that these days, it seems. But, but we love the power of that dam. And, uh, and, and I, I got to thinking about that. Did you know that the actual the Columbia River dam system um, is capable of producing the greatest um, uh, number of kilowatt hours uh, combined of any place in the United States? It's enormous. It's not small at all. And we who live in or near Portland and the Bonneville Dam know that to be true. But there's 11 dams on that system from Canada that comes down through Washington and out to Astoria. 11 dams. Combined, you want to know how many kilowatt hours? Let's just say, how many drive electric cars? It would blow your battery up, okay? 21 billion kilowatt hours of power produced every year by those 11 dams. That's a lot of power. It can actually uh, power more than 2 million homes and it's estimated close to 10 million people with electricity. It's a ton. And the crown jewel of that system is, maybe you knew this, the Grand Coulee Dam up in Washington. Have you ever been there? I, it, I'm sure it was just eye-popping and jaw-dropping. It's that big. It's massive. It rises 550 feet into the air. It's built very big. And, um, and it uh, produces a ton of power. It was, you um, might find it fascinating, built in just less than a decade. It took a long time. That's a lot of building and a bunch of concrete. Uh, how much concrete, you ask? Thank you very much for asking how much concrete, because I'm happy to tell you that it took 12 million cubic yards 
I don't think my truck could pull that much concrete, okay? A lot of concrete. Uh, think a four-foot-wide sidewalk, four inches deep, that stretches out at the equator. It would cover the equator twice. Some of you are not into walking, so that doesn't impress you. So you get in your car and you want to drive. It's enough concrete to build a superhighway from Seattle, Washington to Miami, Florida. Now we're talking, right? It's, it's crazy. Why do I tell you those facts? I have no idea. <laughs> Just got carried away, right? <laughs> No, I, I, I do so because they actually, they fascinate me. I'm a junkie of things like, I just love to take in information. And then they set up a simple yet astonishing contrast. God, in the beginning, our Bible tells us, created the universe and I'm including people in that, in, in six days. Stay with me. Something I like to tell people, and I tell them often, and to think God doesn't even own a hammer. <laughs> you know that thing on every Christmas toy that parents get out and have to build? God could say of the creation in six days, no assembly required. It's true. And it's based on three words that are repeated six times in the creation story. Let there be. Every day had those words. And every day something amazing happened. Uh, pretty impressive, don't you think? Oh, by the way, there's three more words that are included every day in the text. And it was. Or it was done. So day one, day two, day on through, it wasn't like partially done and, oh, we'll have to get back to the job site tomorrow. It was done. Done is done. We've just wrecked it over all these centuries, but it was done. Um, pretty impressive, I think, and it, you would expect that be, uh, from an omnipotent God. The word means all-powerful. Uh, so how do we measure his power? That's the theme of our study today. My Bible's open to Acts 19, and as you turn there in your Bibles, um, I want to answer the question, how do we measure God's power. I'll, I'll answer it with my words. This would be my, what I would call my answer. Science gives us much uh, to measure the universe um, when it comes to the vastness and its, its immensity. There's, there's lots of ways to measure uh, the known universe. And I'm not going to go there right now, but go to Bill Black. He's the smartest guy I know on this subject, and you're going to get a lot of emails. But I'm not kidding you, and invite him to home, your home for dinner, and he will 
you won't charge him for dinner. You'll pay him for coming. Because he's got a he's got he's got the power. No, he's got a grasp of some really amazing facts that cause you to kind of come to the place I want us to go to at the beginning here. All right? Sorry, Bill, I had to do that. But um, so um, the way God, this is how I would measure God's power. The way God works in the lives of people is, my, my estimation, the greatest measurement of his power. Stay with me. That's the storyline of Christianity. It really is. It's the story of broken and defeated and empty and hopeless, helpless people who can have their lives healed and restored and renewed and rebuilt, totally changed, in fact, from the inside out. Amen? So if you're in that first list, you're broken, you're defeated, you're you're, you're, you're ruined, you're wrecked. You need to know something on the front end of this message that the powerful God that said, let it be, each day that creation happens, is the God that can say the same about you, about the stuff that's broken in your life, about the needs that you have and showed up with here today or watching from home today. Because, listen to this, it's not something that a preacher's saying, okay? I get all my stuff from the Bible. I, at least I, I try to make that all that matters to me. And I think it should. The Bible boldly declares, I'm quoting now, people who were once, this is why I can say that, once dead spiritually. Okay, you're saying, who are those people? Us. All of us. Okay, people who were once dead spiritually were given new life in God because of his great love for them. Isn't that great? By the way, that's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, comma 5. Okay, 1 and 5, but read the whole section. I'm just enticing you to go there. Here's the second fact that supports why I believe the greatest miracle move of God, the greatest power move of God happened in Steve McCracken's heart and life and keeps happening there and your life too, I hope. And this comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to this. The Bible confidently describes if you belong to Jesus, you say, how does that happen? That's a good question to ask. By confessing your sin and repenting, saying, God, I can't do it without you. I need you to come live inside of me. He will forgive your sins and, get this, he will make you brand new on the inside. Amen? You guys, listen, I, I could finish my message right there and just say, listen, if you or somebody you love is broken, defeated, um, ruined, wrecked, everything, whatever, they just aren't making it. It's not working. 
you need to take this message to them or you need to embrace this message for yourself because you will see miracle of miracles new life begin in a very measurable way in you in you if that ever stopped being true I would pack up my tools and go home but I believe it's true as true as it's ever been and to pull that off takes power the kind to speak a universe into existence so chapter 19 we come to a really amazing display of God's power the Apostle Paul has reached Ephesus we covered that last week he showed up for his second visit and uh, first visit was very quick and the people asked him hey don't leave you're cool we want more of what you've got we need what you have that's important to us don't go and Paul said no I got to keep moving but I will come back if the Lord wills that's all at the end of chapter 18 and guess what the Lord willed because chapter 18 was about his first mission trip in between he went home got recharged reported what's gone on and they sent him again chapter 19 begins his next trip or next missions trip that we've called along the way there's a third and a fourth one coming all right so he comes to Ephesus and um, and he's he's just a point of reference so you know that these aren't just make-believe cities some people think do those places really exist it's actually in the southwest tip not quite the tip of the Aegean Sea. Look on a map today and you see the Aegean Sea on one side, Ephesus. On the other side, you got places like Corinth and Athens and Thessalonica and stuff like that. We've talked about all these places. Real place on the, on the eastern shore of the Aegean Sea. And Paul is in that place. It's what we would call today modern-day Turkey, South Turkey. Paul is here at Ephesus. And when he got here, he wasted no time. We covered this last week. It's just to catch us up, especially you that weren't here. It's last week we said, hey, he came into town, and right away the first seven verses of chapter 19 are him talking to a group of guys that actually were, were believers, but they had been baptized in an insufficient way. They were baptized in John the Baptist's way, which is a baptism of repentance. We went into great detail last week, and you can get that and, and watch that video if you haven't or listened to the audio. But Jesus um, it has a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and when that happens, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside and permanently take up residence to pull off what we've talked about already this morning, this transformation that he's interested in. Can I just stop myself and say this to you if you haven't been at Grace Point for a very long time? Some people ask, and it's a good question, what's God up to in my life? Where is this change thing going? What is his end game? All those are terms we use today, right? So what is it? What are you up to? Where are you taking me? You might say that in a prayer. Hopefully not a complaint, but maybe you do that too. You say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Can I answer his question? And the whole Bible supports this statement. I'm making you more like my son 
and less like yourself. Done. Done. Everything I'm going, the reason I have Kleenexes is part of the process of making me more like him and less like me. Okay, so God's doing that kind of work. And thankfully, his Holy Spirit lives in me and never backs off or pulls off the job. Amen? So that's the deal. So he's talked to these, these people and they receive the Holy Spirit and they're fully baptized, signed, sealed, delivered. It's all good. And uh, there were about 12 of them, we're told, in verse 7. That's where we left off last, last time. They have a, a full understanding. So Paul then ministers boldly in Ephesus for two years. Check it out with me, verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue. There's no break in between 7 and 8. So that means he was busy. He went right into it, most likely. And he spoke boldly there for three months. He said, Pastor, there was two years. You said, keep reading. He was arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God for those three months, notice, in the synagogue. But some of them became obstinate. That is, folks that he was speaking to. I'm tempted to show you obstinate, a visual of it. But it's just think stiff-necked. It's like stubborn. Inside, you may not do it visually, but inside you're going, no, don't buy it, don't buy it. When's this thing over? Obstinate, okay? Some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. Do you see the capital W? We'll get to that. So Paul left them. Next sentence. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Turkey, modern-day Turkey, heard the word of the Lord. All right, now stop for a second. That's why I say he ministered boldly for two years. His first three months in the synagogue, uh, he was bold, we're told. Luke made a point of that, and he was persuasive. It's not like he wasn't on his game. Wasn't, they weren't stiff neck because ah, you're, you're boring us, you're putting us to sleep. No, there was, a, there was a heart problem. They were obstinate and they refused to change their opinion and eventually actually took that opinion and started to express it with spiteful words. That's what verse 9 is saying, spiteful words against the capital W way. Do you remember another person that called himself the way? <clears throat> it's exactly what this is. He said, I am the way, John 14, verse 6, the truth and the life. So these people were actually saying, <coughs> no, I don't buy it. We're into religion. What's this Jesus thing you're bringing up all the time? Get over it. Move on. Okay. So that's what made Paul say, I'm out of here. Um, we've read this before, by the way, when, when I, th those words, those four words, so Paul left them, moved on. Um, it was advice. I, it took me back to Matthew 10. It often does because that was the first time Jesus sent his disciples out. And when he sent them out, he told them a whole bunch of things to do. And one of the things he said, which is often overlooked when people present uh, what should we do that we're sent out? 
We often overlook what Jesus said in verse 14. If you bring the gospel to them, I paraphrase verse 13, and they get stiff-necked, uh, beg them, you know, buy your way into their heart, uh, some other pr- approach that persuades them? No, he said, do a dust off, walk on. And, and you'd say, well, that's a lot. Well, we already read it. You don't have to go back there. We don't have the time for it. But in chapter 13 of Acts, it was when Paul and Barnabas were in central Turkey in the city of Pisidia, Antioch. It's about midway in Turkey. And they're there, and there was resistance, intense resistance. And, and it says there that they dusted off their feet. It's exactly what's happened here. So with that, I want to say something about this is sensitive time. Uh, You undoubtedly, uh, if you have Jesus inside you and you've got a story to tell of how he's changing your life, you encounter people that don't have that same experience. And that's okay. That's what it means to go and and make disciples. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. Acts 1.8, the whole book's built on that. But there are times when somebody becomes spitefully resistant and resentful to the way, where they take things too far in their opposition. Now, now his, listen to me carefully. When we encounter strong resistance to the gospel, and I don't know of any Christian that doesn't encounter that from time to time, be it at... Um, place you live, in a relationship, or, or some other situation that you are, um, you're there for that purpose, it's time to consider, after consulting with the Holy Spirit, should I leave them? I don't, I'm not, please don't leave here and go, hey, he's advocating divorce and separation. No, 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 I'm talking about the gospel here. And I'm talking about a situation where you're sharing the gospel and the blowback is strong and intense, like we've just read, against the way. Then at some point, after seeking counsel from the Holy Spirit and his guidance, if he prompts you to do so, there may be that outcome, at least temporarily. You with me? Now, if that's get a a bone in your throat or sideways, call me. Let's talk about that. Um, It was the first time I sort of experienced it, and then when I heard it preached, I learned from the pastor that was one of my mentors. It was the most, uh, it was a lightning rod message. It got more pushback um, because people said, no, you just keep sharing. You keep and and in that sermon, he actually mentioned those words, don't throw what is holy to dogs, don't throw your pearls before pigs. And what he was getting at is not that people that we share with are dogs or pigs. He was saying, you know what? You've got sacred things here. The truth of who Jesus is and what he did. And if they're trifling that to the place where they have no interest in hearing about him or the way, uh, Paul certainly an example, and Jesus' counsel in Matthew 10 suggests find a different way. Uh, maybe even pull out. Okay, that's exactly what Paul did. 
and he went to the lecture hall um, with his teachable, teachable disciples. And, and the lecture hall is called the Hall of Tyrannus. We're not really sure what that is, okay? So full disclosure. Is it, uh, it, it's likely that it refers to some kind of a school or even what we might call today a seminary. It's probably not the only one. It's those places where you go to learn theology and, um, and, and maybe have conversations about it. Um, I've been, uh, I, I did work at two seminaries in Bolton, California, in Southern Cal, Talbot and Fuller Seminary. And um, I remember when I was a brand new student at Talbot, that was the first place I went. And, and I would go to classes that just were mind-blowing to me. And it was a, it was a wonderful setting because everybody there was there for the same reason. We're just trying to learn as much as we can about this book and about the God that it describes. So we're just eating it up, especially our theology classes. I just remember coming out of there and I just felt like stuffy, so stuffy from the overwhelming amount of insight and information that we were receiving about theology, the study of God, Christ, Holy Spirit, man, sin, salvation, soteriology. Anyway, I could go on. You get the idea. So in those moments, it happens that in the schedule of seminary students, the very next thing after theology class was chapel. And so we've come out of theology just full, and, and chapel's a good thing, but we found ourselves going, wow, this is not the best placement. I, I got so much on my mind to ponder. I want to discuss it with people. Oh, we got to go to chapel and sit and listen. It's kind of like here, right? Hopefully it's not that grueling for you to sit here and listen. You know what I mean, though? Especially if you just came out of a seminary theology class. So we skipped chapel. We did? All the time. And they have you take, it, they take attendance. Legalists. Uh, they take attendance and... I got called in and asked about it, and I, I didn't really have these words in mind, but we, we would go to the lecture hall of Tyrannus, and about six of us, sometimes just four. Um, in Southern Cal, you may know it as Winchell's Donut House. Um, <laughs> we would have donuts and coffee. And you know what? We went really deep like these guys did. We took in a ton of really important things. And my first seminary experience was two and a half years. And so I felt an alignment with these guys in reading this because Paul did that for two years. Can you imagine that? We're just talking. It'd be like you and I introducing a good latte right now and having a discussion about truth and your Bible's open and so is mine. And I'm hearing from you, oh, I didn't know that. And you're hearing from me, oh, I didn't know that. That's deep. That's cool. That's worthy of donuts and coffee, folks. Okay? Um, all right. So some of you didn't laugh at the donuts and coffee or Winchell's because they're out of business. So uh, I don't know. Think your favorite donut house. I'm not sure. but um. So um, that's what Paul did. And as a result, God's word spread far and wide. 
And it was during this stretch that God was moving with a powerful display of a, really a profound display of his power through Paul. So look with me again uh, at the text and let's pick up at verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles. This is ongoing through Paul. How extraordinary. Well, even handkerchiefs and aprons. I assume that is, is uh, something that they had in, maybe the women all had aprons and the men had handkerchiefs. I don't know. So even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched Paul were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. This mirrors an earlier scene, by the way. It's not the first time. It happened to Peter back in chapter 5. In Acts, you can check it out, verses 15 to 16. But it didn't involve aprons and handkerchiefs. No, no physical touch, as we know. It involved his shadow. They would line up sick and, and diseased people in the streets where he, was, where he was ministering. And he would walk by, and his shadow, if it fell on somebody, was enough to pull off this kind of power move. It's like, whoa, this is, this is really remarkable. Um, you say, well, how, well, look at the words Luke uses, extraordinary miracles. In the Greek, it, it renders something like this. It's, it's works of power, not ordinary ones. In other words, there's a contrast here. It's not just, you know, a slight move of God, extraordinary, means, um, you know, even if you were familiar with miracles, how many have seen a miracle or been part of a moment? Okay, it's okay to raise your hand, okay? So um, let's just say you're in that group that has some familiarity with miracles. Um, this would, to you, without exception, be next level. You go, I've been around miracles. I mean, I, I know a lot of miracles in the Bible, not just New Testament miracles like um, raising Lazarus from the dead or feeding 5,000 with a couple of loaves and fish. No, no. You, you can go back to the Old Testament and you want to do it. It's really worth it. So first and second Kings, first Kings 18 and just roll to the end and into second Kings. And you'll read about Elijah and then his successor, Elisha, who came along and asked for a double portion. You say, what does that look like? I'll tell you one of the things it looks like. He had almost to the number, almost to the specific number, twice as many miracles God did through Elisha than through Elijah. Elijah, say it with me. Elisha, got it? Okay, check it out. So there's lots of miracles, but I think even those people would go, this is big. This is really, really big. Um, it's important we understand something now, because this was done. They haven't left Ephesus. It was done there in a city um, where darkness dominated. The tone just changed. G. Campbell Morgan is a British evangelism uh, evangelist. He was. He's with the Lord now. Bible teacher and writer. I got all kinds of his books in my library. Really good, really deep. But he says some things very simply that come alive. Describing Ephesus, he said, 
The atmosphere of the city was electric with sorcery and incantations, exorcists, and all kinds of magical imposters. End quote. Okay. I wish verse 11 was a victory dance. We just read it. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Wow, that'd be free to imagine. But it, but it wasn't. It didn't get left there. Um, not willing to be vanquished easily, we're introduced to the prince of darkness. And it, and it comes at us hard and fast, and we'll be finished. Um, there's a showdown that you get to read with me now that turned scared people straight. Remember that old show, Scared Straight? It took in felons, and then they brought in, or people that were heading toward a life of crime, and they brought in felons, and these felons, in no uncertain terms, just laid it out. This is what's going to, this is where you're going to end up if you keep it up and all that stuff. And the theme there was to scare people straight. Well, in this case, there's a showdown, a spiritual showdown that scared people in no small way, and uh, let me cover the incident, and then let's pull some principles out of it. Uh, the incident is if you had been an entrepreneur, and you heard about what we just read in verse 12, that, man, these, these napkins, magic napkins, magic uh, aprons, this is cool. And if you're an entrepreneur, and there were many of them in Ephesus, you saw verse 12 differently than than maybe the rest. You saw it as an opportunity. You're thinking, hey, there's an allure here that I can't leave on the table. I gotta, I gotta give it a shot. There's some money to me made here. This is a capitalist opportunity staring at me in the face because God knows how many people need help. If I can convince them that I got help in this hanky, right? So, um, this is, this is the scene in which all of this unfolds. Um, what we're about to read is, is what I would call dabbling in darkness. I'm speaking about those people in Ephesus. Um, because, because it sells. Why would you do that otherwise? And there's always been a market for such things. Even in our day, there's much. And it, I'm not talking old school. I'm talking last week. I've driven through places in Beaverton, in Tigard. So that's current. Where darkness dominates. Okay? Some of you watching or you're here today visiting, you know your cities. You know where that's happening. But there's much to attract today in darkness to the unwary. Tarot cards are one of them. You say, well, that doesn't go on. You want me to give you addresses? It really does go on. And it goes on a lot. There's Ouija boards in my day. That was like, I think we had a public Ouija board burning when I was a kid. Um, and I did a Ouija board one time. And I, I, 
you know, I cheated the whole way. I mean, I'm, I, we asked ridiculous questions, and I'm moving that puppy around and getting yes, no, will I get married, will, you know, whatever. Um, but Ouija board is not to be trifled with. Neither is uh, palm reading. That couldn't be true today. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Astrology, not astronomy, astrology. I was in a class at Cal State Fullerton in my undergraduate, a science class. Let me say it again, a science class. And the teacher asked a class of 100 students, how many of you consult your horoscope daily? <laughs> be like me saying, how many of you believe in Jesus? <laughs> Hand everywhere, he says, I thought so. And I said, what did you think? I thought everybody did that. I said, my hand wasn't in the air. You stand out in a moment like that, folks, because <laughs> they all do. I'm not saying they were serious about it. There might be some in here that take it as a joke. Stop taking it as a joke. It's not good for your soul. It's dabbling in darkness. Here's one more, Wicca. Have you ever heard of goddesses? Witchcraft, it's very present and very powerful. And the devil is not pleased in any way when he's exposed. You say, well, there's only one devil. He's got a ton of bad demons that do what he wants. Okay. So all that to say the occult abounds. I could go on and on and on and make this a message about the occult, and I don't plan to do that. I've never done that. I believe the greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I'm not spooked by that because I have the Holy Spirit living in me that says, I got you, bro. You are mine. So Luke describes seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva that we're about to read uh, the story of. And they made a mistake that nearly cost them their lives. Look on as I read it. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. That's just this general group. Among them, verse 14, are seven sons of Siva, who was a Jewish chief priest. That's way up in the religion of Judaism. They were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. They're talking to a man, and a voice came out of that man. The evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? And before they could answer anything, look at how verse 16 happens. Then the man who had an evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. There's seven of them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Whoa. Don't read on. Don't read on. What a sight. Uh, Paul was a conduit through which the Holy Spirit legitimately cured sick people and legitimately cast out evil spirits. We just read about that, and it's true. So perhaps wishing for celebrity, 
as I mentioned earlier, profit, but certainly not a beating that nearly killed all seven. The last we see of them is seven beaten, bloodied, naked sons of Ziba running for their lives. The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert for that, your adversary, the devil. It's your adversary, just like he's mine, my adversary. Prowls about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But resist Satan, firm in your faith. Ephesians 6 is written for this subject. Not surprising, this is in Ephesus, right? Um, so if we had witnessed this frightful spectacle uh, I'd just imagine what I would do I would run don't want to be anywhere near what if those seven part of something I can't even get my head around and it's going to happen to me soon I don't even know and I, I would run and I know what I would do everywhere I ran I would tell what I saw right you can't believe that. I would probably tell people, stay away from Ephesus. There's scary things going on over there. I saw these guys, and I would tell the story. Um, that's exactly what Luke describes to wrap up this passage today. When this became known, what I just read, what we just took in, to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. That's what you do when you encounter a fake that wants to kill you, you retreat quickly to the true one and cling to him like crazy. That's what that verse is telling us. They were seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came out and openly confessed what they had done. I used to dabble in it. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to a fortune. 50,000 drachma, a ton of money. That, and, it's, and it's filthy um, influence. Verse 20 is a beautiful statement. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. All were seized with fear. They were freaking out. And the name of Jesus, the true person of power, was highly revered, which is crying out to him, which is exalting him and lifting him up. And I love verse 18, a great, that's, you have to read this, a great spirit of repentance poured over the people. That's what moves you. Luke 3, 8 says, Be, bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. Well, they brought it in bounty, verse, verse 18 and verse 19. They, they, vast numbers of people changed it up. Their priorities, they, they do an about face. I'm done with this. That's not, that's not something I should allow any room for in my life. And, and verse 20 tells us it wasn't just localized. This was, this was something that spread widely. 
the word of God and the truth of who he is and the power that he possesses to change someone's life. When I was in high school, there was a uh, song that changed my life uh, by Andre Crouch. Remember him? Jesus is the answer for the world today. If I was him, I'd be on the piano going for it. Above him there's no other. Jesus in the way is the way. And he goes on and it gets carried away and excited. He says, there's, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's salvation in the name of Jesus. There's healing in the name of Jesus. The Bible says demons tremble at the sound of that name. My sweet Rosa Sharon, my lily at the valley, he goes on to say. And it just, you can, you can tell I've read that a lot and sang it a lot. And then join me. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other because Jesus is the way. Amen. He's the way, right? He is the way. People, Ephesus is a lot like our world today. It really is. And lots of people living in spiritual darkness today and the bondage that comes with that, just as they did in the day we read about it. And there's tons of spiritual substitutes today, just as there were in that day. But Jesus Christ has the power to create the world and has the same power to change the hearts and lives of people in the world. So please, please, please go to the power source that's pure and holy and wants to make you pure and holy. Amen? Tell people you know this truth. Get out of that stuff that will, that will lead to bondage and a beating and maybe death. But turn them to the one that says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Those who have been set free by the Son are free indeed. Bow your heads with me, would you please, this morning. The Apostle Paul later wrote things in Ephesus, to Ephesus. And he said this, talking about power, like we've talked about. The evil kind of power and the good kind, the God kind. Describing evil powers, Paul warns, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's our battle. And he went on to say the power of Jesus is bigger and greater and stronger. Now unto him, he said, who's able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all times 
forever and forever. Amen. We love you, God. There are times when we are weak and you make us strong. Those times often call us to wait. Help us in the waiting to have the hope that rises up inside us as I've experienced this morning. May that same hope give every person hearing your word today the confidence that you're up to something, that you will make the change, that you will bring about good and great, and it will all mean glory for you. To that end, we sing to you now in the name of Jesus. Let's stand together, people. Would you sing with us today?